Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and it's my privilege and pleasure to bring you the word of God this day. Uh, we're continuing in our series on the Gospel of John. We'll be reading from John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, and verses 26 to 27. Uh, feel free to turn there in your Bibles, and your phones. You can also look overhead. Uh, it'll be projected for you. John chapter 15, starting from verse 18. May the Holy Spirit bless the reading and the preaching of his word. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jumping down to verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is God's word. You know, this section of John that we've been going through lately, uh, John, about John chapter 13 to 17, it's often called the upper room discourse. And basically, it's Jesus' last words before his crucifixion. It's his final instructions to the disciples uh, as he sends them out on their mission to the world. And here, you know, and he, he says all these things to kind of equip them, train them, ready them. And then he gives this warning in our passage today. He gives them this warning. He kind of gives them a reality check. And basically he says, the world will hate you because of me. The world will persecute you because of me. Right? He, he calls this. Uh, he, 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 he gives it to them in advance. 1 John 3.13 says it in another way. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Right? Don't be surprised. And of course, Jesus isn't saying every single person in the world who is not a Christian is going to hate you. But he's saying you will face opposition on account of being a Christian. He's telling that to his disciples, and of course, he's telling that to his church. You will face opposition. And we don't have to look very far uh, to see that persecution of Christians is very real. Uh, it's very real even now, and, and it's been very real since, since 2,000 years ago. You may have heard um, ancient stories about you know, the Roman emperor Nero burning Christians alive, feeding them to the lions. And maybe some of us think, oh, well, you know, those were, those were the old days. Those were much more brutal times. Uh, but the experts will actually tell you that even now, actually more so now, more than, the ancient time, more than in, in the ancient period, in the modern period, there have been more martyrs for the faith, more people who have actually died uh, for their belief in Christ. Uh, the Pew study, it's a research group, they write that, the, that Christians today face religious persecution in more countries now than in any other country. Sorry, than in any other religion, right? Take me a moment. More, Christians face persecution in more countries than any other religion. Uh, another study actually says in the 10-year period from 2005 to 2015, this is of course an estimate, but another study says that an estimated 900,000 Christians were killed for their faith from 2005 to 2015. Afghanistan, Somalia, and North Korea are ranked in the top three for extreme persecution of Christians. Not just any kind of persecution, but extreme persecution. 
Uh, persecution of Christians in India has increased at an alarming rate in recent years. And this is something that we have to be aware of, that this is happening. This isn't just some stories from ancient times. This is, this is happening today. This is happening now. This is something we continue to, the brothers and sisters who are suffering and dying for even their, even dying for their faith. We need to be praying. We need to be mindful. We need to be supporting. There are many great ministries uh, which support the persecuted church throughout the world. And you know, in light of that, when we think about our experience here in the United States, we're so lucky, right? We are so lucky and fortunate to live in a place where we truly have freedom of religion. It's not a, a, a usual, it's not a common occurrence for someone to try to actually hurt you because you believe in Jesus, to physically harm you because you believe in Jesus. For us, persecution or opposition is mild. It's mild at worst, right? It's mild. And yet at the same time, Jesus tells us today as well, even for us here, even for us now, do not be surprised if the world should find you strange, if the world, if those outside of the church wall should even find you uh, weird or they should even hate you. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised by that. Now, I remember when I was a teenager, you know, I was, uh, I lived kind of a, I was like this wannabe gangster, right? And, And I used to always look at church people and I would think, ah, they're so uncool, they're, su- they're such squares, they're so uptight, they're so, uh, you know, they're so boring, they're not fun. And I used to really think, like, I could never be friends with church people. I used to really think that. And of course, by the grace of God, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the community, that all changed. And, you know, I have a friend that I even tease to this day. I call him my first Christian friend. And this is a guy that I would never, you know, in my wannabe gangster days, I would never think that we could be close. And yet, I found, actually, we're not so different. And so for those of you who, if, you're, if there are any of you in here that, who, you know, you're, you're also the type of person that, you know, you're not very uh, involved in church or, you know, you kind of see church people a certain way. Let me tell you, I was, with, I was there. I was one of you. And they're not so different, right? They're not so different. Uh, we, we have more in common than, more, uh, than, than not and you know that was that was many years ago, and you know Christians were strange back then, and of course it's no different now. Christians are strange today as well. I would say it's taken an interesting turn uh, in our cultural climate, where it's almost taken a moral dimension. The the, the general understanding of Christian views. You know, if you tell uh, someone who's not a Christian in our current cultural climate that you are a Christian, they're not going to hate you, right? Most likely, they're not going to they're going to think, oh, cool, that's great, you know, awesome, great, wonderful. But the moment you say something like and I believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Then, you know, the, the red flags go up, right, in our current cultural climate. You know, you might be considered, you might be labeled as narrow-minded, right? Or, hey, better yet, communicate uh, biblical sexual ethics, right? Then the red flags go up, right? Then you are very strange. And, you know, as it has taken on a moral dimension, you might even be considered a bigot. And this, and Jesus is saying, don't be surprised. Right? This, this is, this, uh, 2,000 years ago he called it, and, he, and he, he, he said this to prepare and equip his disciples. Right? If you think that everyone's, you know, if you, if you believe in Jesus, then just everyone will love you and everything will be great and there'll be no discomfort, right? you'll be sorely disappointed. You'll be sorely fearful. But if you know, if you know Jesus' words, 
the world, will even, the world could even hate you. You know, then, then we're ready. Then we know what we're, what we're facing. We know what we need to do. And as we explore our passage as well as other uh, scripture passages, uh, there's just three themes I want to explore with you this morning. Just three themes. First, the offense of the gospel. Secondly, the cost of discipleship. And then third, witness in the midst of opposition. The offense of the gospel, cost of discipleship, witness in the midst of opposition. So first, the offense of the gospel. You know, we have to ask, you know, Jesus is saying some strong words. The world will hate you. The world has hated me. And we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus really that hateable, right? Is Jesus really that, is the gospel that offensive? You know, because I think the general perception of Jesus is not like provoking hatred. I've talked to a lot of non-Christians who have said things like, oh, I respect Jesus. I like Jesus. You know, I remember I talked to one guy. He said, I like Jesus so much, I named my dog after Jesus, right? And I was like, I don't know. That sounds disrespectful. Um, <laughs> but people, you know, people generally say that. But you know what, what, what I realize is, and I'm sure you realize this too, is that this is often a caricature of Jesus that they respect so much. This is nice guy, hippie Jesus, right? The, this is the type of Jesus that uh, will never go against you, will never call you out. He's the, he just affirms you and just says nice things and you know, love and peace, which, which are good, but that's all he says. I like how one pastor puts it. He says about the grace of God, grace is disruptive before it's redemptive. Grace is disruptive before it's redemptive. Jesus is disruptive, right? The caricature Jesus, the nice guy, hippie Jesus, he will never disrupt you, never. He will only do everything you want and say what you want to hear. But the real Jesus will disrupt you. The real Jesus actually loves to disrupt you because that's what we need to be redeemed. We need to be disrupted. Jesus, in one way he disrupts us is he, is he disrupts our sense of security. The gospel disrupts your sense of security. The gospel basically tells you, you are not Okay. The gospel says, actually, you know, we, have, we all have this big problem called sin, and we are not okay. The gospel is not flattering. Throughout the scriptures, what does it say about all of us, all of us, apart from Christ? That we're dead, that we're blind, that we're lost, and that there's basically only one way to change that, right, in Christ alone. You know, Jesus, earlier in the gospel of John, John chapter 6, Jesus was preaching to these, the crowds and it's an interesting chapter because the crowds actually leave Jesus in John chapter six. Uh, even some of his disciples leave Jesus in John chapter six. Not the 12, but some of his other disciples. They all leave him because he's preaching a message basically saying, you cannot save yourselves. You cannot fix yourselves. Only if, only if the Father draws you and only if you have me, the bread of life, do you have any hope? And people, they say this is a hard teaching and they leave why did the Pharisees hate Jesus? Because he was basically saying the same thing to them. He was saying, even your religiosity cannot cleanse you. He was saying, even though you're, you're, you have such high moral standards and you're doing all these things right, doing all these formal rules, following all the rules, you still got a problem. There's still something wrong with you. And therefore, the Pharisees hated and plotted to kill him. And I'm sure you've heard people object to Christianity uh, saying things like, you know, oh, I can never be a Christian because religion is such a crutch. Right? Religion is such a crutch and I can never, you know, that's why I don't, I don't want to be a Christian. 
And my problem with a, a, a sentiment like that is that you have to have this, a huge blind spot to think, first of all, that you yourself don't have a crutch. Even if you don't have Christianity, even if you don't have religion, that we don't all have a crutch, some kind of crutch in our lives. Something that we lean on to support ourselves. But actually, what's worse is that an even, huge, even bigger blind spot is to think that all we need is a crutch. Right? To think that all I need is a crutch. That my problem, my sin is just like this little twisted ankle and I just need a crutch. But the reality is that sin is a big problem. Right? Sin, is a, sin is big. Why? Because God is big. God is a big God, so my sin is a big offense, and I need much more than a crutch. The gospel is not just a crutch for me. The gospel is not just wishful thinking for me. The gospel is desperate thinking. Right? It's not just a crutch. It's, it's the whole hospital. Right? It's every hospital. It's every doctor. It's every medicine and treatment combined and rolled into one. And, and the gospel tells us that's how much in need you are. And for many of you, those of you who already belong to Christ, that you, sometimes we forget, you know, we've already accepted that reality and we forget that this is actually offensive. Right, to tell you, hey, you have a problem. You have a problem that you can't fix, that nothing in this world can fix, that you can't muster up for yourself. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That Christ had to come and come, in, come down to this earth and come into our lives and go up to the cross to fix this problem. And that is, the first thing it does is it, the gospel disrupts our security. It disrupts our sense of security. But of course, Jesus doesn't just disrupt just for the sake of disrupting, just to be a troublemaker. Hey, I wanna disrupt all your lies. I wanna disrupt your sense of security. No, he disrupts to redeem. He disrupts to replace, to replace our shaky, faulty sense of security with a firm one that can never be shaken, just like we sing. He, he, he disrupts to replace and the reality is, brothers, sisters, that we, we have to accept that there is an inherent offensive quality to the gospel, that there is definitely an inherent offense. But certainly, we as Christians can add to that offense. Please let us not add to the offense of the gospel. We know it's already offensive. Jesus already called it. People will hate me. People will hate you because of me. But let's not add to the offense of the gospel. Let's not add to the offense of the gospel by being insensitive or by being stubborn, or by being judgmental, or just quite simply unkind. And let us not add to the offense of the gospel. But one thing for sure is we can never get rid of the offense of the gospel. I like how one uh, pastor put it, one of my favorite pastors, he, he said, boldness is actually just clarity in the face of fear. Right, I love that, right? Boldness isn't like some bravado, some flavor, some volume, right? Puffing, out, puffing up your chest. But boldness is quite simply clarity in the face of fear. We will all face some sort of opposition. Maybe no one will try to kill you for your faith. But we'll face some opposition, some objection. And we can be honest. You could be afraid. That can make you afraid. That's fine. And nobody likes to be disagreed with and objected to and hated. But the real, the real question of boldness is, can you just be clear? Can you be clear about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what we believe in, even as the world hates you? That's the, that's the offensive part we can't get rid of. Clarity in the midst of fear, the, the truth of the gospel, we can never get rid of that. So that's the offense of the gospel, but what about the cost of discipleship? 
If you think about it, Jesus, as he uh, gives these final words, this final charge to his disciples, it's not exactly the best pitch, right? Uh, Follow me and people will hate you. Follow me, people will want to kill you. Follow me, people will think you're strange, narrow-minded, bigoted, but follow me. How, how do you start a global movement with a pitch like that, right? How do you start a global movement like that? And one thing we have to recognize is Jesus is simply saying, if you follow me, there will be a cost. There is a cost to discipleship. Please don't get me twisted. Uh, salvation is free. Sal- to be saved is purely by the grace of God, not by our works. But yet, even as we accept and receive this free salvation that, that Jesus acquired, not, not that I acquired, we have to recognize there's natural consequences. There's natural costs. And Jesus is saying, there will be perhaps heavy costs. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus even says, when you follow me, even your family will turn against you. There will be family members who hate you because you're following me. How, how do we bear such a heavy cost? How, how, how does that pitch actually work? from Jesus. How did it work for you? How did it work for those 900,000 who died in 10 years for Christ? Notice that Jesus says in our passage, near the end of our passage, he says this phrase, you have been with me from the beginning. You have been with me from the beginning. And the cost of people hating you, the cost of opposition is worth it if you've been with Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you know who he is, if you know what he's like, if you know what he does, if you've been with him, then it, it can actually be worth it. You know, I referenced John chapter six where all the people leave Jesus, even his own disciples apart from the 12 leave Jesus. And it's, it's kind of a sad sight where Jesus actually turns to his 12 disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave too? Right, everyone else left. Are you leaving too? And man, I love Peter's response. Peter is a dum-dum, right? But this, this one is so good. This is, this, is his, this, is redeem, this is one redeeming quote from him. Jesus says, are you gonna leave too? Everyone else left. They didn't like what I said. They didn't like the, the truths, the hard truths, the offensive truths of the gospel. And Peter says to, to Jesus, representing the whole, the group of disciples, to whom shall we go? I love that, right? To whom shall we go? You hold the words of eternal life and we know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? We've been with you. We know you. We know who you are. Even if everyone else is leaving, everyone else is hating this, we know who you are. We've been with you. There's nowhere else we can go. To whom shall we go? It's worth it because we know you. And I would say, for for the Christian, not only is it worth it, but we can actually even have joy in the face of opposition. First Peter 4.16, I love how the NIV puts it. I kind of grew up, obviously we all kind of grew up on the NIV. It says, when you suffer as a Christian, you don't need to feel ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I love that. It's like when you suffer for a Christian, not only do you, can you bear, just, just, oh, I'll endure it, I'm, I'm okay with it, but you can actually praise God because of it. You can actually be joyful if I suffer as a Christian. Not if I suffer for being unkind or being uh, judgmental or harsh or insensitive, but if I suffer purely for just following my leader, I can actually rejoice and praise God 
And that sounds crazy unless you know Jesus, unless you've been with him, unless you know what he's about. Then it can actually be a joy. And it's not crazy to give, to give yourself up. You know, many of us, all of us probably will never really face violent opposition or have to, have to be, you know, no one's gonna throw rocks at us. But you know what? We're all gonna have to face the cost of discipleship in some way, shape, or form. We're all, because of our convictions in Christ, we're all gonna have to face some kind of sacrifice. We're gonna have to give something up, give up some kind of option or opportunity. We're gonna lose something or, or gain something we don't really want as a, as a result of being a Christian. And we can say with joy, it is worth it because I know who Jesus is. I know he holds the words of eternal life. I know that he's the Holy One of God. And so not, not only is it worth it, it's joy-giving. I rejoice even when I, have to, when I have to lose. Nabil Qureshi, he's an author uh, who unfortunately very recently died at a very early age of 34 to stomach cancer. And Nabil Qureshi, he's, he's very well known in Christian circles because uh, he was a very devout Muslim who, who up, over a long period of time of investigation and wrestling and, and, and dialogue and, and reading the Quran, reading the scriptures, he eventually came to Christ. And he has a great book called uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's his testimony. Had me in tears as I read it. And, and it's so remarkable. You know, he, he writes in such a way that is so sympathetic towards his fellow Muslims, but obviously it's so beautiful in, in uh, what he sees in Jesus, that he comes to know Jesus, and, and he comes to say, and, and he has his part, he has these crossroads where he says to himself, if I become a Christian, I lose everything. If I become a Christian, I lose my family. I lose my, all my, the, the culture I grew up with, the love, the good things I grew up with. And, and I love what he says. He says, but if Jesus Christ is God who died on the cross for me, then I quote, a million times over, it's worth it. A million times over. There's this gut-wrenching part in the book where he's talking about how when he, when he finally told his parents, and basically he says, in believing in Christ, I killed my parents. Not literally, but, but emotionally, spiritually. There, there's a part where his mom is just destroyed. She's destroyed by the fact that he became a Christian. And she says, why did you betray us? And, and, and this is not easy. It's not easy. He's not just like, oh, whatever. It, it destroys him and he cries out to God. But at the end of all of this, he can actually say, but a million times over, because Jesus is God who died on the cross for me, a million times over, it's worth it. I pray that for all of us, along with even those, the 900,000 who said a million times over, it's worth it even to lose my life, that because we've been with Jesus, because we know who he is and what he's all about, would no sacrifice be too much? Would no opposition be too much? Because we know who he is. And that leads us to our last theme that we see, witness in the midst of opposition. How are we to witness in the midst of, you know, it's one thing to, it's hard even just to witness when everyone's cool, right? When everyone's just like, oh yeah, I'm open. I wanna know about Christianity. Even then it's not easy. Uh, I, we wish that it was always like that, right? And praise God that it sometimes is. But how do we witness even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of hatred? And that's why we need verses 26 to 27. The Holy Spirit will come. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will bear witness about me. 
He will give you the words to say, Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels. Right? We believe that, that, that we need the Holy Spirit to minister and to change hearts and to illumine minds as we, as we simply just seek to be clear in the face of fear. You know, there's a couple, I have to first admit that in my ministry experience, be it as a, as a lay ministry person, as a, as a Christian in the church, or as a, as a pastor, I haven't faced that much persecution. Like, nobody has really tried to harm me or hurt me um, often or much. But there are two instances I could think of where I was uh, threatened with violence and where uh, I was kind of, there was a verbal tirade against me where someone was cussing at me and angry at me. Uh, and mind you, this is not like me, you know, people have cussed at me at many points in my life, but uh, this was in a ministry, ministry uh, context. So it was very different, very unexpected. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, in those moments, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit moved. I, I had a calm that I don't normally have. I had words that I don't normally have. You know, in the instance where the guy was cussing at me. Uh, you know, I, for those of you who know me well, you're not surprised by this, but for those of you who don't really know me, you think, you know, I'm a pastor, so uh, he's very humble. You know, if somebody cusses at him, he'll just take it. But I, I'll, I'll confess, that's not me. If you cuss at me, I'm gonna beat you up, right? I do. I don't know if I can or if I, and I definitely won't, but I wanna beat you up, right? And when that guy started cussing at me in that ministry context where I, was, I wasn't really you know, doing anything harmful to him, you know, it was like the movie Inside Out where there was this like angry me inside my head like, oh, it's, it's about to go down, I'm gonna give it to you, right? I'm gonna give it to you. And then I opened my mouth and I, it, it literally was like an outer body experience. I was like, whose voice is that? Who's saying these gentle, kind, diffusing words, these gospel-saturated words? I'm not even joking. It really felt like I was like watching myself. What else but the Holy Spirit? And I believe that because Jesus said it. He said the Holy Spirit will minister. He'll be the one who ministers even in the face of opposition, even when people cussing at you, when people are hating you or they're angry at you for simply representing Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit comes, he moves, he loves to move. And you can have security and comfort in knowing the Holy Spirit does that ministry. He loves to do that ministry, even when, when people are, are opposing you and hating you. And he, he not, the Holy Spirit doesn't only just give us the words to speak, but he gives us the works to do. He gives us the works to do. Really big hint I see in our passage of how we are to conduct ourselves in the midst of opposition. In verse 20, if you remember, Jesus says these words. He says, remember when I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master? Right? He literally says that word. Hey, remember this. Remember I said that before? A servant is not greater than his master? You know when he said that? Just two chapters ago, John chapter 13, where he washes his disciples' feet. He says, hey, you know, the world's gonna hate you, but remember what I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master, so obviously if they hate me, they're gonna hate you. But also, remember I, remember I said that before? When I washed your feet, when I lowered myself, even though I'm your master, I lowered myself, I washed your feet, and I told you guys you need to do it for each other now? And he's saying, this is what we need to be doing in the face of opposition and hatred. And then uh, probably an even clearer hint, you know, we started on uh, uh, verse 18 of, of John 15, just one verse before, verse 17, 
Jesus actually says, love one another. You gotta love one, I tell you these things so that you'll love one another. Love one another, but the world will hate you. And that's how actually you witness as the world hates you. Of course, we gotta love those outside the church walls. Of course, that goes without saying. But if we can't do that if we aren't loving each other well. If we aren't humbling ourselves to each other. If we, want, if we aren't sacrificing for each other, if we're not including each other, if we're not forgiving each other, how are we gonna love the outside? How are we gonna love those who don't know Christ if we can't even do that for each other? And my prayer is that for us as the church that we would grow so much in, in how we treat each other even, in our sense of community, in our sense of forgiving each other when, when church people aren't, aren't exactly uh, being nice to you, when, when, when they rub you the wrong way, that we can actually forgive each other and, in, and still include each other. I pray that, that those outside the church walls would peek inside. Because you know they do, they're gonna. Through you guys, they will peek inside. They'll get a glimpse of what the church is like. Or by simply coming, they will get a glimpse, a peek inside of what the church is like. And I pray that they would be able to say, that's, that's somewhere I would like to be. That, that, I wouldn't mind being a part of that. Right? By the way we wash each other's feet, I pray that the world would say, you know, that, that, that's a place that I could actually belong. That's a place that I could actually find myself being known, find myself growing, find myself being loved. You know, one of the ordained deacons, Dennis Kong and I got, got a wonderful privilege to visit a, a local ministry. Uh, it's called Lot 318, and it's a ministry run by this uh, missionary woman and awesome lady. And basically, you know, that ministry has adopted a certain neighborhood uh, in the local area, and they just, they just love on it, mainly especially to the kids of that area, offering free tutoring, different events. And the thing about that area is that it used to be uh, controlled by a gang. It was a heavily a gang territory to the point where she told us back in the day, if you wanted to go there, you had to have a police escort. And, she, and that ministry came in, started changing things. Obviously, the, gang, the gangsters, the real gangsters, they didn't like that, right? She, she started taking over. She started changing it, right? The gangsters started losing their power. And I remember as she was giving us this little tour, she pointed out this mural that was in one of the walls of the neighborhood. It was this, this cool-looking mural of uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And she said with so much pride, it was just so clear, the, gang, the gangs never tagged that mural up. Over the years that it's been there, the gangs never tagged that mural up. And you know, it didn't really occur to me at first like how significant that was, but as I thought about like how, just she was so beaming with, with a righteous pride, you know, with the, with the, with the good pride. And I, and I realized she was so proud because she recognized that their witness, that their love for these kids and for this neighborhood actually melted the opposition. It actually melted the hatred of the gangs to the point where they saw, there, there's something strange going on here. Right? There's, there's, something, there's something unusual and beautiful and, and so, so humble and so loving going on here that we're not gonna mess with that. We're not gonna tag that up. Right? Even, we, even if we don't really like it or agree with it, we're not, we, there's something special here. And it, and it melted their opposition. And brothers and sisters, you know, as we seek not to add to the offense of the gospel, there's actually a way that we can even melt the opposition. It's the strangeness of the love of Christ. 
right? As we continue to be strange in all the ways that, that Christians need to be strange and are, and are strange, would we continue to point to the strangeness of Christ? Jesus is strange. The love of Christ is strange. The fact that God would come down and not just you know, pretend to be a human, but he would become a human and he would experience the, the pain we feel and the suffering we feel and we'd be born in a manger, that's strange. It's strange that the king of the universe would wash his disciples' feet, even disciples who would betray him. It's strange that God would die on a cross for sinners. It is very strange. But when the Holy Spirit does his ministry, when the gospel is preached, when that strange word is preached clearly in the face of fear, and the Holy Spirit does his ministry, you know what happens? Our, our closed off hearts actually start to melt. We actually start to see this, that it is strangely beautiful, that it is strangely compelling. That this strangeness is actually what saves us. So church, let's, let's be a people who are not surprised. Expect it, expect it. In different ways, in different forms, expect it. And would that cost never be too big for you? Would it be worth it a million times over because we've been with Jesus, we know what he's like. We know who he is. And, and would it actually even give us joy to face opposition? Because we are not just suffering for Christ, but we're suffering with Christ. We are suffering with our Lord. We are following our leader. And the comfort, of course, even in the face of opposition is that the hatred does melt away as the Holy Spirit does his work. And as we seek to continue to be a church where people can belong, a church that washes each other's feet. And as we close, I just wanna, I just wanna ask you, for those of you who don't know Christ, for those of you who aren't familiar with Christianity or the church, I pray and ask that you would let Jesus disrupt you. Let Jesus disrupt our shaky sense of security, our self-security. Would he shake that up and give you a firm one, a real one, one that can never be shaken? And that'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. And for those of you who already belong to him, would you stay strange? Stay strange. Stay strangely humble, strangely loving, but not strangely perfect. Obviously, we're not called to be perfect, but would you be strangely secure? Because you have a strange savior who this world could never offer.